we hope everybody had a terrific Thanksgiving and that you didn't eat so much turkey that you passed out from the trip to fan overload and that you, you know, you, you were on your couch asleep and slept through this episode because you don't want to do that, Murph. I might have. You might have. Who'd you talk to? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> I have pictures. <laughs> Connie sent pictures of you from Atlanta, drooled down the side of your face, watching the football game and not having any no notion of what's going on. Absolutely. Well, that's kind of the you know the the story of my life. But uh, let me tell you, we we've been eating very healthy before Thanksgiving, so that when Thanksgiving came around, all bets are off. Damn right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Opa, you know, forget, give me that feedback. I'm ready to go to town. Well, hey, guys, everybody, welcome back again. This is going to be the uh, our unique one that we did. We did that with Rick Rambo. Uh, we're doing this with Michael Martinez. So this is part episode, still episode 124, part three. And we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do that, some quick housekeeping. Hey, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Really helps us out a lot, folks. Give us some feedback. Give us comments. This actually raises our visibility in the rankings, allows more people to hear uh, the podcast and see the written description so they can decide to join in like you folks did. So we really appreciate that. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. Murph, on that website, I took some of Michael's links and put it up there. You can see the links that are posted on YouTube of two of his shootings. Oh, very so good. That, that'll show that'll show you folks what's in there. So make sure you go visit that. Um, also, follow us on that thing called social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But you got to join us. Uh, give the gift this year. This is the gift you can give. Give the gift of Game of Crimes. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We just got through doing our case of the month. We recorded that before doing this intro outro. And we I'll tell you, if I haven't seen you this fired up in a long time, or you got fired up about one of these cases. Well, I did. And that the last one you spoke about, I mean, since you know, we had a little break in between recordings, you had another responsibility there to take care of. And and I was sitting in my chair and I just can't get over it. I I mean, it's just what happened to those three young ladies and that guy. Uh, I mean, and folks, please uh, go check us out on Patreon. It's case of the month. Uh, it's just, it's outrageous. It just, I'm just thinking of it from a father's point of view, man. I, if we keep Me talking too. about it, I'm going to get ticked off all over again. Well, and what we did is what we're doing now is we're, we're Murph and I each, we each pick out two stories we want to talk about. We don't go deep on it, but we go in about right. 15 minutes, but enough to <laughs> fire up, get yourself fired up. And we were both oh, yeah. fired up about our respective cases. So head on over to that patreon.com slash gamercrimes. We've got case of the month. We've got our narco meter review. Murph, what are we going to do this month? Um, uh, Black Klansman. Black Klansman. Just if yeah. you said Miami Vice, this was going to be over. <laughs> no, I screwed that up one time. I won't do that anymore. No more of that. But we we got our we got we, again we got the narcometer. We got you can't make this shit up. Nine one one. What's your emergency? So we got a lot of good things coming up. So visit us patreon.com slash game of crimes. Yeah. And hey, the other thing too is go visit facebook.com. Just type in game of crimes fans run by our favorite mafia queen, the uh, Iron Fist with the Velvet Glove, Sandy Salvato. Get in there. There's We've got, I think, over 900, maybe, you know, uh, getting, you know, shooting towards 1,000, but a lot of fun stuff. We pull a lot of good stories from that, too, as well, Murph. We find oh, yeah. some stories from that, like we did last week. A.G. Harris, I don't know if it's IV, the fourth, IV stat, whatever it is, you know, A.G. got us a story last week that we used, so that was fun. And I've got a couple stories we'll talk about in a minute on this one, but just head on over there, Game of Crimes fans, type it in there. 
Uh, and remember, folks, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things for good people or to good people. We take the story seriously. But according to Virginia Commonwealth law and Florida state law, we don't what? We don't take ourselves serious at all. Now, our guess, that's different, but we don't take ourselves serious. And one of the ways we prove we don't take ourselves seriously is a little section uh, that I have to ask you. Are you ready for it, Murph? Are you ready for it? Guess what time it is. It's time for Small Town Police Blotter. 007 there. Hey, uh, what I thought I would do, these first two stories are not small towns. They are San Diego, but in honor of Michael, I thought I'd get a couple funny stories from San Diego. Then we do end up with the small town story from Florida. Where else, right? God love it. Murph, this, this dude is cold. He is cold and heartless. Stanley McQuarrie, 54, broke into the San Diego apartment of William Ballard around 3.30 a.m. You might ask, why should I care about that? Well, Ballard, who has one leg, was seated in his wheelchair when he was when he confronted the home invader. As he attempted to call for help, McQuarrie pushed the victim off his electric wheelchair, took the victim's cell phone, and then he rode off in the wheelchair with the cell phone. But he didn't get far. San Diego PD was on there. So what happens? He's in an electric, you know, motorized wheelchair. He gets about two blocks from the home. When the police show up, and now he he is miraculously healed, he hops out and he runs. But Murph, guess what? What? Not as fast as a canine. Yeah, baby, go, go. <laughs> I love it. Hey, as they say, a police service dog was deployed. No, the canine was unleashed. <laughs> Cujo. Cujo, man, he's locked up in the San Diego Central Jail in lieu of a $105,000 bond. He's been charged with robbery and burglary and several misdemeanors, including elder abuse. Piece of shit. Yeah. Serves you right. And I'm glad I'm glad Cujo got Christmas, or Thanksgiving dinner early off of you. There you go. And I hope you beat him right in the butt. He can't sit down, though. Yeah. Hey, Murph, uh, you know, speaking of Florida, we'll get into the second story, but I think this lady in our next story came from Florida because... She doesn't know how to drive. God, she's from Orlando. It's not just Florida. <laughs> well, and Murph, because she doesn't know how to drive, she's going to prison, uh, federal prison for six years because wow. Sylvia Mashaya, 34, was arrested. Now, you're going to, you're going to, you know, Customs found 27 pounds of meth <laughs> hidden in the rear quarter panels of her 2006 Ford Focus. But here's the deal, Murph. She came through uh, initial screening. Mm-hmm. Initial inspection, primary inspection. They said, okay, you're, they, they talked with her, whatever, they let her go, so they waved her through. Apparently, she doesn't know where to turn left instead of right. Instead of turning left and going back into the United States, she turned right and went into secondary inspection. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your sign. Here's your sign. And so they said, well, since you're here, let's search yeah. you. So they found her, and the U.S. the meth has uh, what, what's rule number one, kids? Don't do meth. do meth, right? So she drove her car into the secondary lot, uh, and they decided, hey, we didn't order this, but since you're here, let's take a look. Um, <laughs> she thought she was home free, but her navigational mishap resulted in her arrest on drug importation charges. She is now serving 75 months in federal prison um, in Dublin, California which Very is about good. 40 miles east of San Francisco. Um, guess what, Murph? She's going to, part of her probation conditions, when she eventually gets out, she will be barred from entering Mexico and will be required to participate in a drug or alcohol abuse treatment program. Plus, she's going to be going back through driving school. What, so she was taking meth into Mexico? 
Uh, no, from Mexico into oh, okay. the United States, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it reminds me of that TV show. I can't remember the name of it, but they used to say, they called the next contestant, come on down. Yeah, the price is right. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and here, Murph, can't let, you, can't let you get away without one more story from Florida. Yeehaw. Stewart, Florida, population 17,245. Salute. Salute. All right, Murph, a lot of times people call 911, as you say, 199, right? 199. This lady should have called 199 instead of 911 because she called Lily Rinker, 23. She called 911 to report that a male friend of hers that she met last week stole something that belonged to her. Oh, what happened? Well, she had $30 worth of marijuana in her grinder, but Carlos, quotation marks, departed the room. She noticed half a gram was missing from her stash. Hmm. So she did not know what to do, so she decided to do what? She called 911. <laughs> and Murph, to make this even worse for her, you you don't call 911 for that. You certainly don't call 911 when you have active arrest warrants for yourself, oh, too. So she failed to show for court in connection with an outstanding criminal mischief case. And the second one, she didn't appear for a probation violation hearing in connection with a DUI conviction. So this time they made it easy for her. They held her without bond. Um, you know what? For our listeners out there that, that aren't on Patreon, one of our monthly segments is you can't make this shit up. <laughs> this is a prime candidate for that episode. Well, and here's the thing, too. So she was arrested last year for striking her father in the face during an argument. Hmm. Uh, why? Because she became upset learning that he had posted an online photo of her holding a vape. And she is a college athlete and could not see could not be seen holding a vape. Instead, what does she do? She's got marijuana, criminal mischief, and a DUI. Well, there you go. Uh, there you go, Skippy. You're obviously not going to be a Rhodes Scholar, are you? Yeah, No, no, not a Rhodes Scholar. Well, so uh, that was your post-Thanksgiving tryptophan-induced coma uh, stories for you. So, But hey, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, get into this, too, with Michael, because... Where we, as we say, where we left off last week, Michael had been involved uh, in now three shootings within 18 months, and you're going to hear about some of those too. Mm -hmm. But this is the first one is when the headache started. Then he got into the second and the third one, and but he got to the point where it was tough to cover up the drinking. It it, it was affecting his home life, and uh, he eventually, I, I think he didn't want to do it, but I think he saw the writing on the wall. If he didn't do it, um, he voluntarily went to rehab. Yeah, it's um, and and we. Said I shouldn't say rehab. I'm sorry. Let me correct. I shouldn't say rehab. He went to um, counseling. Counseling. Yeah, an intensive 28 day program for counseling. And and to Diana, who was uh, one of the civilians there, that that uh, kind of pulled an intervention on him, but then wouldn't accept his BS because he was trying to talk his way out of it. She she pushed him. <laughs> I mean, God bless her for doing that. And we said this last time, last week, and we're going to say it at the outro also. Thank you to Michael for being so transparent and honest and open about your story because there's so many people that can that are going to benefit from this. And it doesn't just have to be police officers. It's any first responder. It's anybody that's in a uh, uh, an occupation that's extremely dangerous where you're facing life and death on a daily basis. Or it's just anybody that's, had, that's suffering from anxiety, depression, maybe having suicidal thoughts. 
the one thing we want you to remember, 988. That's the national number. I hope I got that right, and I always get that one right. The other one I have fun with, 199, but not this one, 988. It's open 24-7, 365. Somebody there to speak with you if you're having any type of uh, suicidal thoughts, depressive thoughts, whatever it might be. Please, please call and get help, 988. Yeah, never go it alone. There's always somebody out there for you. So, Absolutely. so, and I'm telling you, like I said, when, when we got done, it was like after 90 minutes, we said there's no way, and you're going to understand why there was no way to just condense this into 90 minutes. So, this is why our second time we're doing this, two weeks or two episodes in a row now. So, now coming up, part three, Michael Martinez talks about in being involved in the shooting and how going through the therapy, going through the counseling, prepared him to better handle being involved in a fourth shooting within two years. So, Murph, mm-hmm. we can't hear the story until I ask you, are you ready to play and hear about the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes? I am. And listeners, if you didn't do it last week, we'll do it this week. Get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Y- you thought last week was interesting? Wait to hear this this one. All right. We are back. Guys, again, we're making history. We did it with Rick Rambo. Now we're doing it with Michael Martinez, uh, San Diego Police. Um, This is our second four-part interview. So we're on part three of Mm -hmm. our interview. And where we left off last time, Michael, was um, you had been involved in your first officer-involved shooting. We talked about getting the headaches, the role beer played with making it go away, and how much fun you know, that kind of ended up becoming. But while you were still dealing with this, within 18 months, you were involved in a total of three officer-involved shootings. So let's kind of pick up from where you were kind of, I mean, you're back to duty now. Um, but, you know, so now that you're back to duty, is beer still playing a role for you in making the headaches go away during that time? Correct. Yeah, on a daily on a daily basis. So even even though I was back uh, out in the street and patrolling again, um, I was still having those headaches. I, again, I would wake up with them. I would uh, I would go to sleep with them. I would if I didn't have them in the beginning of the day, I would develop it and during during the day, whether I was on or off duty. So um, so yeah. So did, did I, you but, sneak any drinks? on duty you know i never did um i never did i do remember uh just i couldn't wait till my shift was over so you were um, volunteering for overtime or extra duties and stuff like that i was i was still i was still i was still working i was working plenty of overtime just because life was was already becoming chaotic at home okay um so but i knew that at i knew that there was going to be an end to my day there was my shift at some point, whether I was working overtime or I, I got held over, there was going to be an end to my work day and that that beer was going to come into play. Um, you know, the alcohol was going to come into play. When you say life was chaotic at home, is that because of the shooting itself? You know, I, it, yeah, I, I would say it, it, it was chaotic because I was having those headaches. Um, I was nauseous every day. Um, I was taking naps like I, I was i was trying to figure things to do to help control the headaches besides the drinking um the arguments at home uh you know the, the my fuse was short so every conversation between my wife and i just turned into an argument it, it I, honestly it could be as little as like what do you feel like eating today and then it's like boom you know i don't know just make something i just got you know and it was just it, it became chaotic 
when you read that book, and it hit me too when you just said that, that book, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, remember the one part where he's talking about is that when you get home, you're just tired of making decisions. You don't want to make decisions. What do we have in? I don't care. I don't want to make decisions. Just somebody, I'm tired of making decisions. You decide. Right. And for me, it's like, you know, I'm not really a picky eater, right? So you you could put anything in front of me. I could eat leftovers or whatever it may be. So uh, it was just that. And then again, the, uh, I think with a combo of the short fuse and, and the headaches and not feeling good, noise became chaotic. My, my, it, when the kids were screaming and yelling and you know when they're and I, when i say screaming and yelling they're they're just playing right they're doing what kids do doing what kids do yeah they were only you know two and a half years old and and you know one and a half years old and you know so they're screaming crying playing laughing and that noise was uh magnified in my ears it, it just things were just too loud and yeah, I think that that all was a result of uh, or the aftermath of, of the of the first OIS. Well, the when you were telling us about the arguments with your wife, is she does she happen to be in the room with you? No, no, no. She uh, I kicked her out of the house for this interview. <laughs> I saw you looking over the side like you were waiting to see if a rolling pin was going to no. smack yeah, the back it's of like the old, it's Like the old joke, what's the first line to every dirty joke? And you see the guy looking over both shoulders. Well, yeah. no, wait a minute, you know? Yeah, exactly. Before I talk about my wife, let me make sure she's not behind me with a frying uh, pan. You know? yeah. Right, right. <laughs> at least at least if she, if she did something like that, it would be captured on, on your guys' camera. You guys would be good witnesses. No, we're not. Didn't see a I'd thing, see sir. No. I'd see shit. I happened to be looking away at that time. I think I went to the bathrooms. Oh, what happened? Oh, I'm very sorry to hear. If she'll hit you, what do you think she'd do to us? That's right. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. All right. Well, I mean, but, you know, that's the thing, right? We, we as cops and stuff, even you know, after the job, it's like you still find humor and dark stuff, right? There's still right. You got to find humor. So, I mean, oh, everything's do. starting to get to you at this point, right? So you don't want to make decisions, the kids and stuff. And how does that does that increase the amount of your drinking you're doing, or does that just make sure you stay drinking? Um, you know, at the same level of what you do. Like there was no incentive to give it up. Yeah, I would say I would say that. I would say there was really no incentive to give it up. The the alcohol was was helping with the uh was helping with the headaches. I think that was my big uh, that physical that physical pain was my number one I guess symptom. I would I would say, you know, when people say like, you know, what was the worst part of, you know, the aftermath and it wasn't the arguments, it wasn't the nauseousness or the numbness. It was it was those headaches cuz it was just those headaches would knock you on your ass you know, as soon as you got off of work and it wasn't, you know, you're already, you're already sitting down on the couch after work anyways, um, more so when you're feeling like crap and you know, you're drinking a beer or on your days off, you're trying to take a nap and it's just those headaches, uh, those headaches were shitty. They were, they were horrible. And describe the two things. I think we asked you this before, but it's been a while since our first two parts, but, um, what was the, what was your favorite go-to beer? You know, what did you, what did you get? And then Tell me too about where were the headaches at? Were they, you know, like some people, they get those sinus headaches, they're in front, they're in the side. Describe the kind of headaches you were having. Yeah. So my headaches would be, it almost felt like it was just like right in the middle of my brain or right behind my eyes. Um, it, it, it was, I've had, you know, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a migraine or a, or a, a hangover headache. It was very, it was very different. It was like, um, it was deep. Like it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, um, it, it was like a deep pain in my brain. That's the only, only way I can explain it. It was like a deep pain in my, 
in my brain. So I, sometimes I'd feel it like right in the middle of my head. Sometimes I feel it like right behind, uh, right behind my eyes. And what was your go-to beer? I mean, what was your flavor of choice during this time? Oh man, I'm a I'm a I'm a 805 Pacifico uh, uh, Modelo, um, you know, drinker. Some IPAs, you know. That's when I you know started drinking more of the. You don't drink any of those wimpy Belgian beers, do you? You know, I'll, I'll drink. It depends. It no, depends. No, no, I, say no. Say no. You don't. No. <laughs> no. No. Of course I don't. Not French, that. Not that French stuff. French do IPAs. I'm sorry. Just oh, can't. How could you do? I mean, ugh. that's one thing that would make me quit drinking. If somebody handed me an IP and said, here, I have a couple of these. I'm sorry, I can't do it, pal. <laughs> yeah. And and you know what, what was good about them at the time was that it, it, it helped me get to the point a little faster because they're stronger. So they're some of them, some of them can be, can be stronger. Right. So, um, it, it helped me get to that, that point of satisfaction. How many would it take? It, you know, there was right from the beginning. I remember, I remember going and grabbing like uh, tall cans, and then it became like the three pack of tall cans, and then it became you know a case, and that would only last maybe uh, two or three days in the beginning because I'm you know I'm, I'm I'm every day I'm cracking three, four, maybe five. If is in my is in my day off, I'm drinking a little bit more throughout the day to kind of sustain that. Um, uh, to keep that headache away throughout the day. Cause it would, it would come back. So if I would, if I would drink at 11 o'clock in the morning and the headache would be away, be gone by let's say noon, for example, well, it's going to, that headache's going to come back by three o'clock. You know, it, it was just, it was just like that headache was constantly there. It, it never, if. How did it affect your sleep? It, it, it didn't. So sleep was sleep at, for the most part, it was, it was good. After my first OIS, I was still sleeping. Um, I was but would taking, the headaches come while you were sleeping? They yeah. So sometimes I would wake up with them. I would fall asleep with them, and uh, and you know I would take naps throughout the day to kind of you know help. There was I was trying to figure out ways to you know methods. You know like hey, pop a couple of aspirin, drink two beers, take a nap, and then when I wake up, I'm like, oh man, this you know this I feel I feel good for a few hours, or depending on what time I wake up, I would feel good the rest of the the rest of the day if i i don't know wake up at 6 p.m. and i'd be good until i go to sleep. So i was trying to find methods and techniques to kind of keep that headache away but obviously you can't take naps when you're when you're working. So that was that Well, you haven't worked only, in the county had then have you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, i'm not a firefighter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well said. That's, right. that's why there's no such show on TV called Live FD. Nothing happens at at the FD. Hey, well, so but between your first, how many months was it between your first OIS and then this stuff started just right after and your second officer-involved shooting? How how long of a, or how short of a time span was that? So 11, 11 months. So my, my, my first OIS was May 27th of 2018. And then my second one was April 3rd of 2019. So yeah, 11, 11 months. So leading up to that, um, so let's talk about the lead up to your second uh, shooting, but leading up to that, like say during the month of April, before this happened, what was your, were you still consuming that, you know, five to six beers, you know, drinking quite a bit on your days off was everything pretty much the same, like what you just described. Did it get worse or were you just more steady state? Yeah, it was, it was, it was steady. It was nothing. Uh, uh, uh my wife would probably say that it was, uh, it increased, but it, it didn't, my, my drinking increased right from the, right from the get go. Like again, the, the, one or two weeks after my first OIS is when I finally had that first beer. And, and, and I just remember it 
that headache going away. So it, it became a, it became a daily thing. I never drank on duty. Um, Again, I knew that there was an end to my, there was going to be an end to my shift and I was going to be able to have that, you know, those, those beers and, and, you know, throw them down and feel better. So it was, there was a, um, but yeah, there was no, uh, you know, sometimes I would drink liquor, especially when I was out, out and about, or, you know, at, at family functions, if liquor was around, you know, I would take some shots, I would drink some mixed drinks, but my, for the most part, my go-to was, was beer just because I enjoyed it. Did the headaches affect your, um, on duty? Um, work too. I mean, in terms of like, did you feel like maybe you were getting short tempered when you normally would have just let stuff roll off your back? You know, how did the headaches affect you while you were a- at work? You know, that that's one of the, uh, I would say, I don't know if it's the correct word, but amazing things was that through all of this, my, my entire journey, um, I was like 120% at work. I was still being, I was volunteering for overtime I was working overtime. I wasn't late to work. My paper was on point. My investigations were on point. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't getting uh, uh, um, uh, complaints from citizens for you know uh, misconduct or use of force or or uh, for being rude on duty or jacking was, their modelo. Yeah, or jacking. Yeah, jacking. <laughs> jacking their modelo. Yeah. So it. it I was. I was one hundred and twenty percent at work. I would say that it. Um, I was still volunteering for calls. I was still taking paper from the OGs, you know, um, you know, helping them out on their beat. So I was still trying to build my reputation, but I was, I was hiding it. I, although I was feeling like shit every single day, um, especially with those headaches, I was, I was bullshitting really good. I was bullshitting my way through it. And, and, um, how long did you think you could do this? I did it for 11 months, I guess. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, there was, um, if I look back at it now, I think, I think at some point, I don't know. I, I was, I was, I was, I was hiding it pretty good. I, I could probably have done it forever if, if, um, if it came down to it, unfortunately, I, I, I probably wouldn't have, I, I was still brand new. So, I wasn't going to be the first one, you know, at San Diego police department to bitch about headaches or being nauseous or, you know, I'm sorry. Were you aware of other guys that had been through shootings that were having the same symptoms? None, none. I, I, I knew, I knew from people who had, you know, that I had spoken to who had been involved in officer of all shootings in the beginning, um, that night when people were calling me and texting me and they told me, Hey, you're going to feel like shit tomorrow, but it's normal. You should get back, you know, into feeling better within a, you know, four or five days a week. Don't drink alcohol, you know, don't, don't watch the news. So, um, I, I was under the impression of, well, nobody else is having these issues and there's, you know, there's guys on the department who have been in, you know, four or five, six shootings and they're not bitching about headaches and they're not complaining about, you know, being nauseous. And so I think it was that stigma of, not so much of it. It was, uh, it was not okay to get help, but it was more of the stigma of, I didn't hear anybody else talking about it. So I wasn't going to be the first one, you know, especially being a rookie, you don't want to be that, you don't, you don't want that attention on you. But knowing what you know now, were there other people going through it at the same time and they were just covering it just like you were? Oh, I've, I've talked to people on, on, on my department and, uh, throughout the nation from, 
folks in Louisiana and Florida and and here in California and Nevada, Arizona. I mean, there it's it's it was so it's so much more common. You know these these symptoms, these nightmares, the inability to sleep, the uh, um, you know sleep is one of the first things that actually go right in, in the profession when we start struggling is it, it's sleep, but uh, the headaches that these are so common and it's it's almost like it, it like i everywhere i go people will tell me when i you know after my presentations they'll tell me stuff like man i know exactly what you're talking about the headaches or hey for the past couple of years i've been having these headaches and it's just some of them some of those people never even even been involved in an officer involved shooting um but it's the stress of of the job and i'll get into that later on in my story yeah. when i started learning about that that cumulative what? you know stress you mentioned nightmares too and stuff, and and not that not so much a nightmare, but one of the recurring dreams I had for many years, and it was just, but it was also, and I think a lot of cops have went through this. The one recurring dream, you know, is like your your weapon malfunctions and you can't clear it. You know, it's stuck, right? You can't pull. I, for me, it was I couldn't get the, I couldn't pull the trigger. It was stuck. I couldn't rack around into it. You know, just as hard as I would seem to pull couldn't pull the trigger. I don't I don't know if you heard that same story from others, but that seemed to be one I heard a lot from guys that I talked to. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard people have similar stories where and and I've had you know I've had those nightmares too where, um, you 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 can't you can't run fast enough from the bad guy that's chasing you and you're the cop right and uh, in your mind at the time you're running from the bad guy and you're like this isn't I should be running after the bad guy, but you know he he or she's shooting at me or or you can't move out of the you know, out of the way when a car is coming towards you or, you know, you fire your round and it just falls. Like there's not enough, you know, umph to that, to that round, you know, uh, going down range. So there's all kinds of weird dreams. It's, it's weird the way that the fact that we kind of dream the same. Well, you know what Murph's recurring nightmare is? Somebody's going to beat him to the blue plate special. He just can't run fast <laughs> enough to get the door in first before it closes. I can still fight. Yeah, still they fine. might they might beat me there, but I, we're gonna have a I'm fight. I'm still armed. I'm still armed. <laughs> I get in there and gum my food with the best of them. That's right. And we've established too what your favorite brand of cat food is. Uh, it came from our Patreon episode on our Q and A. So <laughs> chicken. Well, all right. So let's set the stage then for your second officer involved shooting OIS, as as you say in the business. So uh, kind of lead us up into it. What shift are you on? What day is it? Uh, you know, kind of what's going on. Yeah, so me and my partner, uh, we are working a day shift. So our day shift is our, you know, first watch. It's I'm sorry, this sounds like the intro to Dragnet. It was day shift. My partner is Bill Gannon. (laughs) (laughs) It's 10 a.m. on the midnight shift. Yeah, the City of Angels. I carry a badge. Go ahead. Um, Um, Done, done. Yeah, six a.m. Six a.m. till four p.m. is is our shift. So. it, and that that I remember me and my partner we you know my buddy we still talk about it uh, every now and again that that day um, that day April third of twenty nineteen when we were working first watch it started off very odd as soon as we broke lineup at you know I don't know six thirty in the morning I think it was like seven seven thirty in the morning a, uh, a, a active shooter, basically an active shooter call comes out. Um, there's a male in an apartment complex parking lot and he's like firing off rounds into unoccupied vehicles that are in that, in that apartment complex parking lot. So, you know, we, you know, everybody goes to that call and we end up taking that guy into custody. That was 
the way that morning started, April 3rd of 2019. And then later on, maybe around, you know, lunchtime, like 11 o'clock noon, there was a, um, uh, some like walker or a biker found a body, um, out near the Tijuana river Valley. So, uh, you know, homicide got, you know, I, I think, yeah, homicide got called out to, to that and they were handling that and, and, uh, and, and then at 1.30 p.m., and we, we didn't really have much to do with that. It was a – I think it was like a body part or something like that that was found. So, um, one, like around 1 p.m. comes around, April 3rd of 2019, me and my partner, uh, we had stopped. We're on the opposite side of the division. We're on the uh, the west side of the, the division. And uh, we stopped a couple of uh, guys in a, in a car that was like four deep in a car. And I don't remember all the details. They They – some gave us consent. Some of them were on paper. You know, they they were searchable. They were on probation or parole or whatever. But they all had, um, uh, they were all searchable. So we got them out of the car. Um, you know, I was I was searching people one one at a time. We're we're having them sit down. We're waiting for another unit to to arrive, and um, I'm start digging into the car. And I start on the driver's side door, um, and I start on the driver's side end of the vehicle, and I start digging around and searching. And, uh, I remember the, the, uh, I, I found like dope, like it, I found some dope. I put it on the, on the roof of the car and I stick my head back into the car and I'm digging around and uh dispatch gets on the air and, uh, the dispatcher airs that there is a, uh, we, there was one caller of a Hispanic male, um, armed with an AK 47 and he was actively shooting inside the trailer park, uh, near Willow road or, or Willow elementary school. It's, it's a, there's a, there's a trailer trailer park right across the street from the elementary school. And this is down in San Isidro. This is on the opposite side of our division. So, uh, you know, I, I remember sticking my head out the window and I, and I look at my partner who's standing with the, with the four guys and, um, and we kind of look at each other. We're like, you know, one at 1 PM, on a, on a school week, you know, during the weekday, 1 PM active shooter and only one caller, we would have, there'd be tons of people calling, you know, people are, uh, especially the school, right? The school would be calling us and it, we'd be, we'd be having a lot more people calling than just one caller. And there, there'd be times, uh, many times down at Southern division, uh, you know, you would get, and it's agencies everywhere, right? We get, you get those bogus calls. You get like, Hey, there's somebody chasing me with an ax and, and, and he's right behind me. And, you know, five, 10 cop cars arrive on scene and the guy's just, you know, tweaked out or, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's having some type of psychiatric emergency and, and, uh, and it's a big bogus call, right? It's a big nothing. He's, so having, get, he's having a, a Morgan moment. No, 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 no. <laughs> Rule number one on Game of Crimes, kids, don't do meth. This is what happens yeah. when you do meth. That's what you happens. Pretend you believe people are chasing you with an axe. Exactly. Exactly. So we would get those all the time. Like that was not uncommon where we would get these calls. So we, uh, so I looked at my partner and we were like, let's wait for another caller. So, all right, cool. We, let's wait for another caller. I stick my head back into the car, start searching again. and within seconds um dispatch gets back on the air and she airs something to the effect of hey we have three more you know two or three more callers uh hispanic male armed with an ak-47 inside the trailer park he's actively shooting and so we're like holy shit right it's it's game time it's uh you know this is what we all 
trained for. This is real. And my heart starts pumping. The, my, my adrenaline, I could feel like my adrenaline kicking up. And uh, we hop back into the car. Hey, real quick, right there. You hop back into the car. Um, it, it, even though you had a hot call, every now and then it's kind of tough to turn people loose like that, right? Like, you, you know, you've got, you've got something righteous there. Like you said, they were on paper. You know, they're on parole, probation, whatever. They're searchable. You know, they're up to no good, right? But you got to make a decision, don't you? It's like you know, toss the dope, whatever, tell them, get the hell out of there. Right. And, and you know what, that's a good, that's a good thing that you mentioned that because I, 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 uh, I forgot to mention. So when we, when, once that dispatcher aired that call and in our mind, we're like, Oh shit, this is game time. I grabbed the dope from the roof of the car. I ran over to the driver who was sitting down on the curb. I give him the dope and I said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> game is and- dope back. Oh, I gave him the door. Yeah, I wasn't impounding anything that day. And it's funny because people would say like, man, you should at least like, you know, uh, you could have taken the dope. Like you could have like crushed the pipe on the ground or something like. And I was like, man, they're going to get dope and pipe back. And that was the last thing on my mind. I was just like, well, here's your stuff. We're not talking stuff. about that. He's got two kilos of Coke in there. It's like a yeah, little bit of weed or something. Or Yeah, he could he could have had he could have had ARs or, or something in the in the trunk or for all we know. Right. I mean, we, I had just barely started searching the, the front. but. Um, what's the priority, right? Like the active shooter, that's the priority, everything else. And it's funny. I was just like, you know, here, get the fuck out of here. And they're, you know, we jump in the car in the squad car and obviously, you know, we're right behind their vehicle and all four guys are kind of like looking back at us. Like they're walking away. Is this a joke? Are you, this is a setup. Yeah. (laughs) They thought they were going to get set up. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was so funny. Like now thinking about it, but we, I mean, we, me and my partner, we hopped in our car and, uh, and we took off. So, yeah. So when you say, and give us some geographical context too. So you said it was on the other side of the division. So, you know, when you're in a big town, miles aren't as important as minutes, right? I mean, it could be three miles away, but it could take you 20 minutes to get there. So even driving code three, as they say, you know, lights and siren, how fast were you going to be able to get from, from where you were to where the shooting was? That's a good question. Let's see. Um, you know, I would say, I would say that uh, it's a good 10, 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, you know, a ten, maybe a 10 minute code run, uh, with lights and sirens and everything. And we got there, uh, I would say we got there around that time. We got there pretty, pretty quick. So what does that speak to then about the amount of units on the street that day? Like how were you guys the first ones on the scene next to the first ones on the scene? You would think with a call like that, people would be coming out of the woodwork. I mean, right. to respond. Uh, yeah. So uh, we were, we were number three, on scene, there was two uh, two other officers already there. Uh, two other units. They were they were uh, um, you know single single man units, and then and then me and my partner who was a, a two man unit. So uh, we were we were the third unit on scene, and and uh, Able, which is our air support unit, they were already overhead uh, when we were when we arrived on scene. So, but everybody was coming. I mean, detectives were coming from, from the, uh, uh, detectives were coming from the, you know, the station, all the other units were responding. Uh, uh, every, everybody was, everybody was coming down when it, at that point. Also give us a sense too, is like, you know, every agency's kind of has their own way, like they clear the air or emergency traffic. So when you get an incident like this, do you guys go to a separate channel? Do you stay on that channel and they move the other traffic and then, you know, with air support? So from a radio standpoint and a comm standpoint, how does that work when you've got obviously a major incident like an active shooter? Yeah. So they, they, for, for this incident, they, uh, they, they put the tone on, which, which tells everybody to clear the air unless it's, unless it's specific to, to which, what that call is. Um, so there's a tone that's, 
constantly going on every couple of seconds and the air just basically stays clear um for the units that are arriving on scene uh nothing else gets switched over sometimes depending on how big the incident is or how long it's it's uh it's lasting um they'll they'll switch everybody over to a different frequency either either the people on that scene or the rest of the uh the rest of the division or the rest of the uh the frequency all right so and then with air support too so are you guys able to talk directly to them or is that only come through dispatch correct we could we could hear what they're saying with their airing and we could talk directly to them and vice versa so you're getting there so you know so now lay out the scene so you guys show up you know do you hear anything do you hear the shots going off yeah, no. So in my mind, when I'm driving there, I remember thinking to myself, there's going to be kids laid out because I've driven, I've driven there day and night, all hours of the day. There's always kids out there playing, riding their scooter, walking with their parents. You know, there's always kids out there day and night. Um, so in my mind, I was like, there's going to be, there's going to be kids laid out and whether dead or alive, I'm going to have to walk past them and we're going to have to contact this suspect. You know, that's, this is how we train. So this is this, that was my thinking. And I remember when I was driving there, I was thinking, man, this is going to fucking suck. Uh, what I'm going to see is, is, is going to suck. Um, when we get there, as we're dri- as we're arriving on scene, the air support unit, uh, spots the suspect on the opposite end on the South end of the, uh, of the trailer park. And the entrance to the trailer park is on the North side. So the entrance to the trailer park is on the north side. Suspect is on the far south end of that trailer park, and uh, he's not holding a firearm um, per per our the a, our air support unit. He's not holding on to a firearm. So I park. I get out of the car. Me and my partner get out of the car. And um, how far is it from the north to the from the north entrance to the south where this guy is? Hundred yards? Two hundred yards? Uh it, it's it's a it, it's a it's a walk. It's I mean, there's probably like five rows of, of, uh, I, I would say maybe a good, yeah, easy 200 yards. I would say 150, 200, maybe, maybe a hundred, 150 yards or something like that. I mean, the, the way it's kind of laid out. Well, the reason I asked that is because you've got all the concerns too, because you know that there's one shooter, but you don't know if there's two. So it's the other issue of, is there an ambush? You know, is somebody laying, is around the corner of a trailer? I mean, you've got so many places somebody can pop out at you and pop off a shot. Right, and and one of the uh, one of the descriptions or one of the uh, um, uh, the updates that dispatch gave us was that the suspect was hiding behind a uh, one of the vehicles, but he was I think he was still out on the on on the far end of the entrance. So I guess he was like kind of hiding. Uh, somebody had reported that he was hiding behind like some trash bin or a or a, a vehicle or something like that. So in our in our minds, we were thinking, you know, he's he's waiting for us. Uh, he knows we're coming at some point. And, um, yeah, so it, it was just, there was a lot going on. You know, my adrenaline is going, I hop out of the car, um, and I throw on my, my hard plates. Um, obviously we wear, we wear vests underneath our uniform, but our hard plates are s- supposed to, uh, you know, protect us from a, a higher caliber round. Especially if you so, got an AK-47, yeah. 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 So I, I throw on the hard plates and I remember snapping one side. There's, there, there's two buckles on, on each side of the, of your ribs, right? Your rib area. So I snap one side and it snaps and then I go to snap the other side and I, it, it, it's not connecting. It's not long enough. And I remember thinking like, man, I know I fucking gained some weight, but I didn't, I didn't gain, <laughs> I didn't gain that much weight. Not, you know, my uniform, my gear, my gear is usually, you know, I, I, I use it, you know, I throw it on, often and make sure everything is good to go. And 
I was like, and, and this is a, maybe a, it's not connecting by a lot, <laughs> not just by a little. It's not, it's not connecting by a lot. Well, what I forgot to do is what I, I forgot to take my BWC off of my uniform, my body worn camera. And I, I, uh, I forgot to take it off the uniform and switch it over to the, uh, uh, you know, transition it to the outside of the plate carrier. So that little bit of two or three inch give that, that allowed, uh, that didn't allow me to snap the other side of my vest shut so did you were you did you have a headache at this time uh you know i don't even remember probably not i would say no there was nothing bothering me at that at that time i was that adrenaline kind of acted like the beer would it just you know yeah yeah maybe so now did you get it figured out or did you just figure fuck i'm getting chubby i gotta hit the i gotta hit the (laughs) hit the circuit when i get back yeah, so you know, I'm 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 right there, you know, messing around with it, and uh, and then the able unit, our air support unit, he gets back on air and says the suspect just picked up the AK-47 and he's walking northbound through the parking lot. I mean, through the through the uh, trailer park. So um, so now it came to that point where I'm like, fuck it. Uh, I don't know what's going on with this vest, but it's game time. You know, I charge my AR and me and um, so we're there's four of us, four four officers on scene. Two officers go one way, me and another guy go the opposite way. So we split up because we know that the suspect suspect is walking northbound, but we just don't know where northbound in this trailer park he's going to pop out of. He could pop out of like right in front of us or he could pop out, you know, 100, 150 yards away, which is at the very end of that of that trailer park. And you talked about charging up your AR. So how do you, you know, part of the training too, I know we talked, uh, we hope to have an episode with the two Nashville cops that took out the Covenant school shooter because we ran into them at the gang conference. And one of the things was with them is even on active shooter, some people were qualified on the rifle. So you had to go through a higher level of training for that. What was it like for you guys? So why did you have the AR? Uh, did everybody have an AI or AR? Do you guys have designated, like some people would be pistol, some people will be long gun you know how does that work yeah so i i uh you, you have to take a class um in order to carry the the ar on duty and me and my partner we we took we had taken that class i'm not sure how many months or maybe a, a, a year prior so we, we uh we were i guess qualified to carry it on duty and and you can take it out you know when when necessary obviously this is a necessary event where we were able to kind of take that out and, and use it. So you, so you've, you got your AR charge and like you say, you're going through the the park now is the air uh, unit able, is able, able to keep able, able to keep an eye on the suspect. What happens now from this point? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I snake in between like these two cars to kind of make sure I have some, have some cover and, um, and I see the suspect, about a hundred yards away, he pops out on the north end of that trailer park, but at the very, very end of that trailer park, a hundred yards away, and he's walking towards me down this like dirt road, and he can clearly see me. I can clearly see him. Although he was far, there was a there was a wooden uh, a wooden fence in between him and I, but that wooden fence was broken down. So I mean, we had a clear view of each other and when i remember i remember him walking towards walking in my direction and he had the ak down on his right to his right hand side and when he was walking he was kind of swinging it not all the way up but just kind of almost like if he was like marching with it a little bit like it was i remember i remember the the ak kind of swinging 
and um and he was just he, he was just facing directly in my direction i felt like we were just looking at each other and um and then he brings the ak up uh in front of him in my direction and then he fires off around and uh i remember hitting the deck you know um, i i get i hit the deck and i come back up to take the shot again he's 100 150 yards away and um i come back up to take that shot and he runs back into the trailer park and now you know the hunt is on i now i know I knew the entire event was, was real, but now it's really real, right? Like that, that, that round, when he cranked off that round, that was the loudest fucking round I, <clears throat> I have ever heard in my, in my life. It's felt, it felt like, uh, it felt like the wind cr- snapped in my, in my ear. It was, it was. And wouldn't you know it too, that these dumb motherfuckers don't, they don't have to do any training. They just steal something where you had to go through training and uh, they, they do this ridiculous thing. They pull one trigger, point a shot and they end up getting lucky, you know? And it's right. like. It just, it always amazes me how lucky they get with some of their shots when you see some of the officer involved shooting. So, um, you said you kind of heard that those things, those things can, what, what was that movie, uh, heartbreak Ridge, you know, the sound mm-hmm. of an AK 47 makes a distinctive sound, you know, it, it very, yes, very, very, it was a very distinct sound when, and, uh, you know, it, I've, I've heard other rounds, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we, you've been, if you've been to the range, everybody at one point has forgotten to put their ears on, you know, you're, you know, you just forget and you're like, holy shit, you know, that, you know, that startled (laughs) feeling. Well, this is, you know, imagine that sound, but I mean, magnified times, I don't know, a hundred. I mean, I just remember, it just felt like the, 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 literally the, I just felt like the air just split you know and and it just cracked i hit the ground i come back up to take that shot and uh he runs back into the trailer park so now the hunt is on you know um um we go into the trailer park <clears throat> at the time from that far away it looked like he ran back into the trailer park horizontally but what they say they that think ha- they think happened was that he ran diagonally and from that distance, I didn't, I, I I couldn't tell that he had ran diagonally, kind of towards us, and he cut that distance between between him and I. So uh, I go back, I go into the trailer park at this point. Um, I, you know, I turn the corner onto this road, and I'm expecting him to be on that road somewhere, but 150 yards away, not, you know, 80 yards away where he was. And, uh, it, it was, to me, it was surprising, but I remember, um, bringing my AR up right when I saw him, he had the AK down, uh, to his right hand side, the way he was kind of marching with it the first time. And he's looking straight at me. I mean, we're, he's, he's clearly looking at me. There's nothing, there's no cover for, for me. We're both literally in the middle of the street or in the middle of this, of this road. And, uh, I tell him to drop the gun. He starts to raise it um, in my direction, and I and that's when I fired off uh, four four rounds. How many hits? Um, so I hit him three times. Um, I hit him. I, I believe I shot him in the thigh, the chest, and then the other uh, hit the back of his head. And and uh, you know we walk up on him, and he was obviously just dis- you know deceased, but we still gotta try to save his life. So so uh, you know there was a. I remember seeing him and I remember walking up on him and I remember his tongue was kind of like sticking out of his mouth a little bit and his tongue was like 
purple and uh, and I, I saw like the hair kind of hanging off the back of his head so I kind of I already knew that there had been a there was a headshot and it was just this kind of moment of silence where you just kind of me and my partner were just looking at each other like all right like what do we do and then I'm like here take my take my AR I'll do CPR so we start working on him and uh and then I get relieved by uh by another officer and the entire homicide process again starts for me. You know, so for our listeners, you can see a lot of these videos on YouTube. And uh, and you also sent the link where we could go onto the San Diego Police Department uh, transparency section. Right. I, I looked at the first one and saw there was almost 500 photographs. And I thought, I'm not looking at 1,500 photographs <laughs> in three shootings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but well, I, I saw the video from the Hilo and, and, um, Somehow their angle, and it must have been right when the shooting was going on because they lost sight the way that they were circling around and there's a building or something in the way. And that must have been when the shooting went down. So you you lost your eyes in the sky there. Yeah. So the the Abel, Abel lost sight of them um, once he fired off that round and then he ran back into the trailer park. They lost sight of him. And uh, yeah, it was... Um, they they didn't they didn't pick they didn't pick the suspect up suspect up until after he had been shot. Yeah, he was down. So what was this? So um, and we're not going to give airtime to the name of the suspect. I mean, people who do that stuff they don't need airtime. But what was the what was the major malfunction for this guy? Mentally ill, homeless. I mean, what what was the what was the what precipitated this whole shooting? Was he aggrieved, angry? What? Uh, I be- meth. I yeah, I, I, be- I believe all all my. Uh, uh, the suspects that that were involved in my incidents were all uh, under the influence of some controlled substance, alcohol, meth, combo of both. Mm-mm-mm. That's our number one rule, kids: don't do meth. Don't do meth. And was he a was he a known quantity to uh, San Diego PD or the sheriff's office? Was this guy um, on the radar? You know, I never had contact with him, and I'm not. I, I never asked if you know what his what his background, what his story was. I. I never really been interested in any any of the those details, but um, yeah, I'm not too sure what what his what his history was. Well, so I'm, and I know we're getting to this, but I, I got to go ahead and ask: Did the headaches continue, or did they go away, or did they intensify? I I had a I had a headache that night, so I I remember um, I remember doing CPR on the suspect. An officer came to relieve me, and they're starting to pull me out of the out of that trailer park. And I remember going out to the street side, and I remember uh, my peer, one of my peer supporters. He was, I mean, everybody was by that time. Everybody had uh, was there. There was lieutenants, captains, people from other divisions. They were already on scene. And uh, my peer supporter officer told me, uh, "Hey, call your call your wife," uh, or he asked me, "Did you call your wife yet?" And I said, no, um, uh, you know, I, I haven't called her. I'll, I'll, I'll text her or something. He goes, no, call her. Um, she needs to hear your voice. She's going to hear about this. She needs to hear your voice. And, uh, you know, she needs to know that you're okay. Call her. The interesting thing was that me and my wife, we hadn't spoken in three days to each other up until that point. We, you know, I was telling you guys that everything was turning into arguments and it was just those, you know, I'd come home and, we wouldn't say anything to each other unless it had to do with the kids. And, and we were just kind of ignoring each other. So we were in one of those three day fights and, uh, I call her 
And she, you know, I call her, remember, I haven't spoken to her in three days. I haven't texted her, I haven't called her. So I call her and she answers the phone and she's like, what? <laughs> and I was oh, like, hey, I've, I, I've had those calls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's just like, what? And I was like, hey, I got into another shooting and uh, I'm going to be late tonight. And she's like, what? You know, so I get taken back to the station and I remember, um, Every single sorry that that snorting sound it's my that's my dog. Let me. I didn't hear it. <laughs> okay, good. Let me make a noise so she doesn't. There we go. Wake her up a little bit. Well, let's um, make sure she's not snorting meth. We don't want to have an incident yeah. in your house. <laughs> no meth in your house, right? Yeah. yeah, no meth in my house. Um, so what was I saying? So I, I get taken back to the station and to Southern Division, and I remember there was. All the brass was there. All the chiefs were there. It felt like every captain, every lieutenant, I mean, the the entire division was filled with brass. And people were coming up to me and they were saying, hey, um, uh, you're a hero. You saved lives today. We're proud of you. You should be proud of yourself. You know, job well done. Like all these really kind things that they were saying to me. But I didn't feel like a hero. I felt like shit. I felt like shit because I didn't understand why this was happening to me again, right? One OIS in our in our careers, whether whether you're federal, you know, tribal police, you know, it doesn't matter school PD, city, county, state, one OIS in your career is is probably never gonna happen. It's like eighty seven percent will never be involved in an officer involved shooting. I had just done it twice in eleven months. And I'm a, I'm a shit magnet at work anyways. Like I'm always involved in everything that's going on at work also. And I, I just couldn't understand why, why me, why was this happening to me? So I felt really, um, I didn't feel like a hero. I was, I was more like, fuck, how can this happen to me again? You know? Um, did you second guess yourself more on this shooting versus the first one? No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I knew, I knew that I did what I had to do. I, I remember all the details clearly. <laughs> the only detail that I when I, I think when I when I gave my interview uh, or my statement to homicide was I, I think I said something. They asked me, you know, how far away was he when you shot? And I think I said something like he was like twenty yards, like he was right in front of me. And they they were like twenty yards. Like, are you sure? And you know, they we went out in the hallway. And he, you know, he walked, I don't know, like 20 feet, however long the hallway is. And I was like, yeah, it's about right there. And, uh, once the, once the paperwork came out and it showed that he was like, we were, we were about 75 yards away from each other or something to that effect. Um, I couldn't, I was like, shit, there's no way we were that far. Like we, he, he looked so big, like I couldn't have missed him, you know? And, you know, when, and I've gone back before, uh, you know, I've gone back after and I, and I've looked to see, you know, and it was, it's a, it was a pretty decent, um, distance. You're not to blame for that. Cause remember guys always say, they always tell women, right? This is six inches, right? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry. You're not to be blamed for being a bad judge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it must be a guy thing then. It's a guy it must thing. Be. It must be. Do you remember getting tunnel vision during this time? Yeah, that it, it, that's exactly what it was. It was tunnel vision. I mean, the, he was su- he was such a big uh, he was such a big target uh, at the time. And and uh, and I was I w- when I shot. You know, I when I was shooting, I was shooting 
standing up on the move towards him. He was standing up on the move towards me. And, uh, and it, that's a pretty tough, I think shot for, you know, I, I think it'll be a tough shot for most people, but it was just in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss him. He, he just looked so, so big, so close. Wow. Wow. What? So, um, so we're not going to spend as much time with this as we did the other one because we kind of understand your process, but um, of, of working through the case, you know, like homicide gets in your stuff. But right. let's close out on this for a second. Um, anybody hurt? Anybody injured during this? Or was he shooting at empty stuff? Did everybody come out okay? Yeah, everybody. Everybody came out okay. There was no, nobody had been shot. Uh, I think he was just shooting at. I don't know what he was shooting at, but um, yeah, there was nobody. Nobody injured. No, joking aside, meth will do that to you. Um, now, with this time, though, um, you knew what it was like the first time and how long you were sidelined. How did it go the second time in terms of how long were you on the bench? You know, uh, what happened? How long before you came back? And because it was your second shooting, did they make you go through additional stuff that you did, did not have to do on your first one? Yeah, I just remember taking the... Oh, I, I took, I, I can't remember how long it took for me to get back to, to light duty. Um, I was giving that acting detective position again. I was out for about three months. Um, this one was a little, a little quicker, maybe two and a half months. And, um, but I, I remember after the, uh, uh, after the shooting, um, that's when additional symptoms began. The, uh, the inability to sleep came into play. And I found myself, you know, from, from the, from the time that I, I went home that night, um, I woke up, you know, at two, three, four o'clock in the morning and I was like wide awake. Well, that, that became a regular, a regular thing for me. I was, uh, I started having trouble falling asleep. I had trouble staying asleep. Uh, there were times I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning and then I would just be up until six when I would have to go back into work. Cause I was, I was given that light duty position again, the acting detective position again. So, um, sleep became, uh, sleep sucked. It, it, I wasn't sleeping much. There'd be days where I'd go, you know, 24 hours without sleeping. You know, I'd, I'd go to work, I'd wake up, I'd go to work. I wouldn't sleep the entire night. And then I'd go back to work again. And I was, I was just on desk duty. So I was tired. I still had my headaches. Um, but nobody knew, uh, wife had an idea because there would be times that she would come out into the living room and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? Or, or who, who are you texting? Cause you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. I finally got out of bed and I'm just in the living room on my phone watching TV. And, uh, she's like, who the fuck are you talking to <laughs> you know, at three o'clock in the morning? Who's, who are you texting? And that didn't Jake from state farm. That's who I'm yeah, talking to. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. I see that commercial. I was like, man, that was me when I was a mess. Oh. <laughs> No. Um, so what did you do during this time? Um, was this just another opportunity to drink more? What did you do when you were awake? Yeah. So what I started doing is I started drinking more. Uh, my, I started drinking a lot more because I was, I was able to turn it off. You know, you, you start, you get, you know, I want to say drunk every night, but you're, you're getting to that point, you know, close to that point and you're able to kind of knock out. And even though I was, I've, I was groggy and tired the following day for me, it was worth turning off my brain just, just for a few hours. Cause I, I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't get a good rest and it was working. You know, you, you drink, you know, more than, you know, two, three, four tall cans or, you know, whatever it, it is. And, uh, and you, uh, you will, you will fall asleep and it's probably not the best sleep, but 
Um, How much a month do you think you were spending on beer? Oh gosh, I don't. I don't even know. I I have no idea. I always had beer at the house, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not I mean, too sure. A couple, yeah. three, four hundred dollars a month at least, right? Yeah, and then you know you're you're going out with people at, at work or with family and and family functions and dinner. You know, you go out for a simple dinner and you're you're drinking. So yeah, I'm I'm not. I, I never even thought of that. Anybody pull you aside and yank your chain and say WTF over? You know, dude, you're drinking too much. Anybody? tried to hold you personally accountable for how you were acting or what you were doing? No. Uh, nobody knew. Even even at work. You know, I wasn't when I would go out with people Come from on, work. Well, your partner had to know. It, nobody really knew that I was drinking every day at work at home, you know, because I wasn't doing it at work. And I, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't go out after work every single day. My partners, the people in my squad, they would I think they would they probably heard me saying things like, man, my fucking head hurts today, or, you know, um, you know, or I'm t- I'm tired, but when I say that I was 120 percent at work, um, I kid you not. Like it, 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 I was, I was, I was flying under the radar because I was, I was good. I was, I never called out sick. I was not late. You know, first person to raise my hand to volunteer to stay after <laughs> after work if, if if we were short, you know, shorthanded on patrol. Um, I didn't want anybody knowing. Uh, you know, kind of what I was doing. I was kind of hiding it amongst my, my good buddies also, but they, you know, they would see me drink, you know, at the bar when we all go out, but I never got, I never got crazy. I never got, you know, I never went overboard with it. And I know we're going to address this here in a little bit, because we want to talk about your third shooting, but as it leads to us about uh, what you ended up happening in terms of your treatment. But don't you think that's kind of a flaw in the way that law enforcement for, I mean, I can tell you for years, it was taboo to talk about suicide. Nobody could talk about suicide, even though we lose more cops each year to suicide than we do, you know, officer involved shootings, you know, uh, felonious assault. So was there, what was the taboo? I mean, why was it so hard uh, you think at that time for you, even now, I mean, you've been involved in your second shooting. I don't want to say you're no longer a rookie, but it's kind of like, man, you're deep in the shit now. What was it about the culture that just prevented people from saying, hey, this is what's happening and I think I need some help? Was it still the fear is that they're going to yank you, pull you, put you on the bench, turn you into a parking meter, you know, attendant or what? <laughs> you know, I think for me, it was, it was, it, it, it may have been just the maybe ego where, where I didn't want, I didn't want to be known as that one, that one officer who couldn't, who couldn't handle it or who was complaining about headaches or who's complaining about that they can't sleep because I, what, what it was, was I didn't hear anybody talking about it. I knew the San Diego police department, we've always had a wellness unit, an employee wellness unit, and they have peer support and chaplains and they have psychological services. And, uh, that's ever since I started the, you know, at the academy, the wellness unit has always been pushed where like, Hey, you know, this is resources available for employees to get help and, you know, speak up. That's all good. But I didn't hear, I didn't hear any, any of my folks talking about it. I didn't hear any officers talking about the symptoms. So I didn't want to turn something. I think I didn't want to turn something positive, like a good shoot into something negative where now it's like, Oh, you're a fucking rookie. You can't handle it. Maybe you don't have life experience. Maybe this isn't the job for you. I just, I didn't, I didn't know if that was that if that was the way I was going to be seen as like as as weak maybe, um, but I mean for the most for the most part San Diego PD 
throughout my entire career, there's never been there's never been a stigma about like being weak or utilizing resources because the wellness unit I'm tell, I'm saying the wellness unit and peer support has been around for years. Um, so that kind of that culture with San Diego PD has changed over the years. But for me, I just didn't hear people talking about it, so I w- I didn't want to open my mouth and be the first one. Yeah, so I said you don't want to be the first one. So between this second shooting and the first one, um, were you back to work much faster, back to regular duty on the second shooting versus the first one? Yeah, so I was back to duty um, after about three months. And, uh, you know, going back to my, you know, the inability to sleep and and I'm starting to drink more. Well, it was about two weeks after my, my OIS was when the nightmares started. And the paranoia started, and uh, and when I talk about paranoia, it, it was like a, it was like like if what I were was you paranoid about. Um, so I would I would wake up from my nightmares thinking that there was somebody outside my house. I'd go and grab my gun. I'm clearing the house at two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm looking outside my kitchen blinds multiple times, and I'm looking at shadows. You're almost acting like somebody who's a meth head or a dope head. That's oh, where yeah. the FBI is watching them, right? Yeah, that's why when you know when I would see people out on the street, I'm like, man, I think, I, I think I kind of know what that feels like because it feels it feels fucking real. Like you, it, in my mind, I, I, I truly believed that I think I think somebody was outside my house. Like I think I heard somebody outside my house. And what what was that shadow? You know what like. And my wife would come out um, sometimes. Was that like, like that fake dog you just said you had where you had to go take care of your fake dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, quiet. You're quiet. snoring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. You know, my, and my wife, she would come out. And I, and I, I remember one time I was like staring out. You know, I, I was opening the blinds and I was, I was looking out at shadows. And, and, I, and I'm shaking. I'm, I'm shaking and I could feel my heart beating out of my throat. You could feel your heart beating in your eardrums. That's that's how bad my nightmares were sometimes when I'd wake up just scared or crying or sweating or you know kicking and screaming. But I'd be out in the in the kitchen and I'm looking out my blinds at shadows and my wife would come out and she's like, "Hey, what's going on?" And and I would be like, "Shh, shh, 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 shh. quiet, quiet, quiet." And and she's looking at me like, "What the fuck?" You know, like and then we had our, we had young boys at home, right? And I'm again, I'm clearing the house. Did you ever have any close calls to where, like, she snuck up on you or something happened? Did you ever have any close calls in the house because of that? No, no, never. But there was some. There was a, a, quite a few times where there was things that had startled me. I remember, like, I don't know if it was her, or the kids that had dropped like a cup, and and the way, just the way that it hit the tile. It was it was like a plastic cup, but the way it hit the tile, um, I like, I jumped up, and I'm talking about like your your heart is literally like you, it's pounding, and and you're. Um, you know, your back is, you know, your back is starting to, to sweat. And it, I mean, it, it happened like that. It just, the, the sweat just came, you know, right away. It was, it was crazy. Um, I remember one time eating dinner, uh, with, at a, a family's house and, uh, it was like 4th of July or, or, uh, I don't know, Memorial weekend or veterans day or some, some, some event. And, uh, somebody lit off a firecracker and I stood, I, I jumped out of my seat I knocked orange juice all over the table and, uh, you know, I went to kind of lift my shirt, like, you know, to grab my, 
you know, I was off duty and I went to like kind of grab my gun. I didn't grab my gun, but I went to go lift my shirt and I realized, you know, what was happening. There was some people who kind of laughed and then, but I was, I was like embarrassed, you know, I was, it was, I was like, oh my God, like that was, you know, and I, and I laughed it off, but there was never any, thank God, right. There was never any close calls where, you know, I'm pointing the gun at my wife or, or anything, but she would tell me like, Hey, you're like you're screaming or she would wake me up and she'd be like, Hey, you're screaming or, or you're crying, you know? And I would literally be like crying. Um, did you remember your dreams? Yeah. I remembered in kind of what we talked about is like, you know, you're, you're being chased by, you're being chased by the bad guy or, um, or, uh, um, you know, I can't pull my gun out of my holster or, or, you know, it's not, it's not coming out, you know, or, um, I can't get out of my car. And for some reason I'm in the back seat. I remember, I remember this dream where I'm like in the back seat of my car and I was like, what the hell? I was just driving and now I'm in the back seat and there's no freaking door handles and I'm trying, I got to get out. And yeah, it was just, it was, and it, it just different nightmares. A lot of it was just, um, or that feeling like you're falling off a cliff. I got, I had those a ton, uh, where you, you basically startle and you wake up out of bed cause you felt like you've just fallen off a cliff and it's like you startle. I mean, it's, it's like your yeah. body violently moves. It jerks awake cause you feel like you're falling. Exactly. Exactly. And, and my, in the nightmares, when I say they were, they felt all of this felt real. It just, it, it felt, I thought, I thought people maybe have recognized me when I was out and about and followed me home. And, and, or maybe, maybe, you know, the homies found out where I lived or some way, somehow social media put my address, you know, on, 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 you know, social media and people, I, 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 I truly believe that I was, there was nights where people were outside my house or I was being followed. It was just a, it was a horrible time. But with that being said, um, my drinking picked up even more because, uh, if you get fucked up every night. Not not just not just drunk, but if you're getting fucked up every single night, which I started doing, you do not have any nightmares because now I understand that your your brain doesn't go into REM sleep. And you know what? The brain has a difficult time distinguishing between reality and a nightmare. To the to the brain and stuff, it's all real. That's why you react with the heart, the you know, the 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 nervous system, the sweating and everything, because the brain you at that level, you believe it's really happening to you. Right. Yeah. It, um, so that's what I started doing. I started getting f- fucked up nearly every single, single night. Um, how much would it take for you to get fucked up enough to where you could sleep? Uh, th- at that point it was like the, I started drinking a little bit more liquor and then, uh, and then more, uh, you know, just kind of mixing it liquor and beer. Um, and was there ever any temptation to move to pharmaceuticals? No, no, no. I never, I never, I mean, that's the most pharmaceuticals I did was just a Tylenol and aspirin trying to get rid of those headaches. Um, but no, I never, I never dipped into any, any narcotics or anything like that. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out as always on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. 
In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.